available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I am Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site of the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. After a little brief hiatus, we're doing a pre-signing day show, David Woods, talking about we're going to go through every single team in the Pac-12, talk about the recruiting class, the pending recruiting classes, which, of course, we'll know a lot more about in a couple of days on National Signing Day. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've missed you. I've missed I've missed recording the POC. I've been stuck doing a lot of solo uh, UCLA podcasts as we gear up towards signing day. But it's nice to get back and uh, do another one of these uh, previewing the whole Pac-12, which I think is going to close pretty well on signing day. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty good. And uh, it should be fun. I miss, uh, I miss doing the podcast with you, too. We've been doing a lot of USC podcasts. I'm actually starting a Los Angeles Rams podcast pretty soon. Um, Busy man. Busy man. Busy man. Yeah. So I'm going to do that one a little bit later tonight, but we got to do a POC. And just to let people know, if you want to email us, you can do that at pack12podcast at gmail.com. So that's the email, pack12podcast at gmail.com. Our website, of course, is just pack12podcast.com. So pretty simple. Um, you can leave us a voicemail, 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. And of course, you can search on iTunes to find the POC the podcast of champions. We have a lot of fun doing it. Hope you guys enjoy listening to it up and down the scout.com network. And probably the questions, Dave, I would guess will be post signing day kind of stuff. So that'll be our next podcast sometime after signing day, maybe looking at all the classes. So if you, if you're a Washington state fan or Arizona fan or whatever, and you have a question about your signing class, what you think about it from signing day, I guess they can send them in for us, Dave. Yeah. And that'd be good. Maybe we'll get a, Greg Biggins on again to uh, handle some of that recapping stuff that we can't get to because we don't. I mean, we're, we know a lot. We've, you know, we've been through the LA circuit of all these seven on seven things and all the high school games. So we know a lot of the recruits who go, you know, because LA supports recruits for basically every one of these schools. But Biggins knows everything, and uh, maybe we'll get him on for the uh, recap show as well. That would be good. Um, now, you know, we've talked a lot pre-show, just kind of us jabbing our way. We didn't really discuss how we were going to structure today's show, but I, my, <laughs> my suggestion, I guess, would be I have the rankings for the Pac-12 uh, in front of me. And kind of like what we did with Greg Biggins, maybe we'll go down backwards and we do have updates from all of the other scout publishers that we can play for each team. Would, would that work for you, Dave? That works splendidly for me, Ryan. Okay. Um, so overall, uh, there are five or actually six Pac-12 teams. Uh, ranked in the uh, top 25. Uh, the Pac-12 is currently third uh, behind the SEC, which is number one, and the uh, Big Ten, which is number two. Uh, the SEC has 10 five-star for uh, recruits. Um, the Big Ten has four. The Pac-12 has four. The ACC is down at number five, but they have three. And the ACC has one, and then that's about it. Uh, but the SEC is kind of like the you know, the big leader, uh, 
The average star rankings, actually, the Pac-12 has a little bit better, like 3.14 over 3.13 for the Big Ten. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's, you know, more about the individual teams. Five teams, Washington, USC, Oregon, Stanford, and UCLA, all ranked in the uh, the top 25, Dave, with UCLA being ranked the highest. They're, they're coming at number 10. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Arizona State has a chance to maybe climb into the top 25 with a good finish here. I'm sure we'll hear something from Chris Cartman about that. But um, I think it'll be a strong close. I think UCLA is poised to finish strong. I think Stanford's already finishing strong. USC obviously is not going to finish with 13 commitments. They're probably going to add, I mean, you, you'll know better. It's probably five more at least. So I think uh, definitely probably six schools in the mist for in the mix for uh, a top 25 finish in the recruiting rankings. All right. Well, I guess we should probably just jump into what we like to call Pac-12 Roundup. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, we got the sound effects. And then, uh, well, since we'll this, I'll do, I'll, I'll give the sound effects, Dave. If you want to give like a little kind of, you know, basic oh, yeah. recap of the team, and then I'll play the, uh, play the recap from our expert. Is that cool? Perfect. All right, that's a little behind the curtain, everybody. We're just doing this on the fly, just so we don't <laughs> sound silly. Where we're like, <laughs> like, wait, are you supposed to talk now, or am I supposed to talk now? <laughs> All right, so uh, let's start off with Colorado Buffalo. Oh, the good old stampede. Uh, the buffs are ranked 71st in the, uh, in the recruiting rankings, uh, by a pretty wide margin, uh, the last team in the recruiting rankings, as you might expect given their, uh, record of the last few years. They have only 14 commitments though, which means they've got a lot of room to grow, um, and get further up, maybe into the top 50. Um, with, uh, 13 three stars, no four stars, no five star, but 13, uh, three stars out of the 14 commitments. 2.86 star average. Let's hear what our man Munster Tiger has to say about the Buffs class. The Buffs had just nine scholarship seniors in 2015, so obviously this is going to be a small class for them on Wednesday. That coupled with the fact that the Buffs took commitments from six prospects that don't have any other power conference offers has Colorado at the bottom of the Pac-12 in terms of the recruiting rankings. I recently went through for a feature we ran on buffstampede.com, uh, a top 20 plays feature, and I watched every second of film on these commitments, including their game film, and I was left largely unimpressed with the type of linemen the Buffs have in this class, but I think there's a solid group of skill players set to sign with Colorado on Wednesday. Uh, they extended their recruiting footprint to Florida and Georgia this cycle, and it paid dividends. Uh, Anthony Meese and Johnny Huntley, teammates from South Plantation High School in the Miami area, should really be instant contributors for Colorado on the offenses out of the ball. And then I really like Atlanta-area cornerback Ronnie Blackman on defense, a guy that could be in the mix for the starting punt and kick return job from day one. The Buffs picked up a big pledge from uh, Pukimaka, an outside linebacker prospect from Utah on Sunday. And then I expect uh, Colorado to land a four-star junior college receiver recruit by the name of Juwan Winfrey, a former Maryland receiver. Either on Monday or Tuesday, that news should break. And then uh, a couple other guys that are looking at here in the days leading up to signing day are former USC pledge Keanu Saliapaga. Took in a, visit, a visit out to Boulder recently. He's going to decide between the Buffs and BYU. Former Stanford commit Bo Bicharet seemed to be leaning towards committing to Colorado. And then Alabama's trying to throw their hat in the ring here late. Kind of an interesting situation given that uh, the dead period setting in. He can't really take a trip out there unless he decides to wait until after signing day to decide. And then Fua Patutau, an inside linebacker recruit from the Salt Lake area city, uh, Salt Lake City area is uh, looking at Colorado as well. 
here leading up to signing day. And then also uh, some big news recently from a guy that won't be actually signing a letter of intent but will be joining the Buffaloes this summer in the in former Texas Tech quarterback Davis Webb. He announced that he's going to be transferring to Colorado as a graduate transfer, so he'll have one more year of eligibility remaining and uh, will be in the mix to start for the Buffs in 2016. Actually, I would put the, him as the odds-on favorite to, to win that job just because of uh, Cephalufau's foot injury and some of the inconsistencies uh, he's had in that starting role here recently. This is actually going to be my 14th signing day with BuffStampede.com. I've got a weird tradition. I drink a Red Bull every four hours to keep the engine roaring on signing day. Curious <laughs> if you guys have any uh, signing day habits or traditions. Lots of cocaine. Lots and lots of cocaine. I don't know. I, I get up at, what do you get up? I get up at like 4 a.m. Yeah. Probably earlier most times, uh, for signing day just to kind of get everything started. You know, make sure the engines are kind of humming before it starts getting rip roaring crazy. What about you? Yeah, same sort of thing. Usually Gerard's up. It, if, a lot of times if there's like a USC commit on the East Coast, it could be real early in the morning. So, you know, Gerard will be up at like four in the morning. I'll probably get up at like five thirty. Um, and just kind of, you know, figure out what we're doing that day. But that's yeah. what you pay Gerard for. You yeah. Pay for him to get up an hour and a half earlier on Sunday. Yeah. Let, that's, his, that's his thing. You know, he's like, he's our recruiting dude. Um, but yeah, everyone's involved. It's all hands on deck. You have to just, just be, you know, you don't expect, you expect the unexpected because it's just a crazy day. I'm not a Red Bull guy, but, and I don't drink coffee or anything, but I'll do Cokes or not, not Coke like David said, <laughs> but you know, whatever I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> just not not copious amounts of cocaine no not um yeah so signing day is always fun it sounds like it could be a fun one for colorado it sounds like they've still got some irons in the fire with some guys including keanu saliapaga um who i think was committed to usc at one time yeah and uh it sounds like they've got and closing with a four-star jc guy um it does sound like they'll close a little bit better than they've started and probably I would guess they would finish somewhere in the neighborhood of the top 50. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he, when I talked to Adam, he was saying, yeah, there's like five guys. There was four or five guys at the end that, you know, they have a real good shot at. And it's, a, you know, it's a young team too. I I get, you know, you don't need as big of a class. Um there'll be a lot of, you know, guys I think they said what we said it last podcast, 23 different Buffaloes made their first career start uh last year. So that's a lot of yeah. dudes, you know, starting for the first time. Uh, so you kind of fill in some holes and stuff and, and see, you know, and adding some skill, skill guys, uh, should help a lot. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they finish. Cause they're, you know, being able to be in on a few, you know, pretty big name guys towards the end is always good. And if you can close on all of them, I mean, it, it builds a lot of momentum. Yeah. And uh, from a, from an average star ranking standpoint, from the quality of recruit they're getting, they're not too far off from the other schools kind of in that mix in the bottom six, like Cal's at 2.88. Utah's at 2.96, Oregon's at Oregon State's at 2.71, Washington State's at 2.81, and Arizona's at three. So they at 2.86, they're getting probably a similar quality of recruit to that group of schools. So I, I, I think the talent should be starting to get upgraded a little bit there. All right. Well, you mentioned the the kind of the bottom six there, and I was a little surprised to see this team come in at number eleven. Uh, we have Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> The Wildcats coming in at 56th overall in the recruiting rankings, as Ryan said, 11th in the Pac-12. They only have 15 commits, though, so that that could be a big part of it. Um, their average star ranking is actually pretty good at 3.0. Um, so it's I think it's for them, it's more of a matter of just not having the numbers quite yet. Um, they have two four-star commitments, 11 three-star commitments, pretty balanced class, seven on offense, eight on defense, um, and definitely, like Colorado, some room to grow, and I think pretty obviously is going to be a top 50 
uh, type recruiting class um, with a chance to close on some guys. But let's hear from our man, Jason Shear. Hi, this is Jason Shear of WildcatAuthority.com, and signing day for Arizona is going to be an interesting one, due in large part to the fact that there's been nine decommitments this class, and some of those were, were simply Arizona offering guys gray shirt options and they didn't want it. Um, others were uh, because there was so much coaching change with Arizona. The Wildcats basically got rid of their whole defensive coaching staff, um, kind of started from scratch, changing schemes and everything. And although most fans and most people view that as a positive, uh, there were some guys that didn't really have the relationship with the new coaching staff and chose to look elsewhere. So uh, really Arizona's strength, a lot of it was in the early enrollees. Khalil Tate is one of them. That's a guy that Arizona really likes. Um, could be the future at quarterback, Isaiah Hayes at corner. But they, they do have some talent coming in at, on signing day. Uh, the, probably the star, I guess you could say, would be Michael Elatise. He's an offensive guard, the best guard in the West. He's a four-star prospect. Really, he's, he's been really loyal to Arizona. Got a push from UCLA, Arizona State, some other schools, um, but never really visited. And Arizona did well to, to land him. He's a guy that, that should be able to make an impact uh, sooner than later. Um, you take a look at some other guys. Uh, really, what Arizona's wanted to do is is improve the secondary. And the last couple commitments they had, safety Jarius Wallace and safety Tristan Cooper. Uh, Wallace chose Arizona over Colorado. Um, Colorado thought they had a, a good push on uh, on Cooper. I'm sorry, Colorado thought they had a good push on Wallace, um, but it wasn't able to, to get him. Arizona moved in late on him and landed him. Tristan Cooper is a good safety, kind of a headhunter. Plays in a really small school in El Paso. So that's why he didn't get as much attention. I've got an offer from Purdue and Illinois late. Texas Tech wanted to bring him in on a visit, but Arizona was able to, to secure a commitment. Uh, Arizona likes those guys a lot. So despite the fact that Walt's the three-star and Cooper is a two-star, those are guys that they feel can improve the secondary. Um, it really, Arizona's goal was as a whole to, to improve the defense. And, and there's still a lot out there. Uh, J.J. Allen is a four-star defensive lineman. Arizona has a good shot at him. Probably the only school really recruiting him hard still. Um, Chacho Aloa, a four-star safety, uh, decommitted from Stanford. Him and Stanford part ways. Arizona got right on him, got him to visit campus. Uh, he hasn't taken another visit since then. Um, so, so it looks like Arizona's in good shape for him as well. Three-star linebacker Victor Veramontes um, is another guy that Arizona's in on. Three-star corner Lorenzo Byrne. So there's going to be a lot of signing day drama. Um, the, the biggest thing Arizona hopes is that maybe it could steal Lamar Jackson. It would be a, a shock if that happened, but Arizona made a major push for Lamar Jackson and Brandon Burton. And even though Arizona's probably not going to land those two, the, the fans at least uh, like the fact that the coaching staff went out and, and tried to get those guys that they went in homes with both guys. They pushed for, for visits, et cetera. So these are guys that, uh, that Arizona at least made a late push for and gave them something to think about. That's why you see Arizona in Jackson's final three and Burton's final four. Um, so, so that'll be interesting for signing day as well. Although those were, they would be two pretty big shots if, if Arizona even landed one of them. Um, but still there's, there's plenty of guys out there. Arizona could technically land with a much better class than it has now. Even if it lands Allen in the, in the lower, you're talking two four star prospects. So even though the class is rated pretty low, um, Arizona has a chance to move on up. If there's one guy that's committed now that might be up for some drama, it's Devon Cooper. He visited Syracuse and Arizona State. Um, he, he's kind of at a, at a loss right now. I think he's being pulled in a lot of different directions. Arizona still has a chance to keep him. 
uh, but he visited ASU right before dead uh, dead period, so ASU feels it also has a chance to win. But he's kind of a, a confused kid right now, and, and he's being pushed in in three different directions because he has teammates going to Syracuse, his coaches went to Arizona, and he liked his ASU visit as well. But other than that, Arizona's class is likely to, to end better than people think, um, certainly better than it is now, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any momentum going into next year's signing day uh, as Arizona's new defensive coaching staff has more time to work with guys. Very thorough and good stuff from Jason Shear. So it sounds like Arizona does have a chance to close here with um, at least a couple of guys, if not, you know, a, a pretty reasonable amount of dudes. And I think that would, you know, as he said, if you even close with the two four stars, they're probably safely into the top 50 at that point. Yeah. If they close really strong, you know, it's not out of the question they could sneak into like the top 40 range. Um, but it sounds like they have a chance to close pretty strong here, despite, you know, UCLA was actually the beneficiary of a couple of those Arizona decommitments, Jake Burton and, uh, Devon Modster earlier this month. Um, despite losing some guys to decommitments, they have a chance to finish with a pretty nice class. And it's not, it, like he said, it's not easy when you get some coaching turnover where fans are like, Hey, this is good. Everything's going to be better, but there's relationships there. And even if it was a, you know, you could say it's a bad coach that, you know, coaches whatever defensive backs, you have a DB that's, you know, invested in that guy. And, uh, you know, if he's, he's fired, then it's, it, you got to build that relationship again. And it's, it's not always easy for something like that to happen. So you, you get, I get why decommitments happen in that case, but you know, nine's a lot. Um, significant amount. He mentioned Khalil Tate, David. I know that's someone that we both got to see. Um, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on him because he, you know, if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't really even like the full time quarterback at Sarah. And I know other school, I know USC went after him as more of an athlete kind of thing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Khalil Tate and uh, from Sarah High School here in, in California? I always liked him as an athlete. Um, as a quarterback, I think in the right system, he might make sense. I think in Arizona system, he might make sense. I think for, I think for USC and UCLA, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because even, you know, UCLA with Brett Hundley, it's still more of a pro style type offense. I think, um, I, I think Tate fits better in kind of a pure spread option with a real running quarterback. I think he can, I think he can find a fit there. I like him as an athlete. I just didn't love him as a quarterback. I think he could play running back. I think he could play receiver. I think he could do a lot of different things. I think he can he can probably play quarterback in that system. It's one of those things where I think he found in Arizona a really, really good fit for him if he wants to play quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, if it, if you know, the fact that Arizona can still finish strong and get into that top fifty and they're the second to last ranked Pac twelve team right now, that's that's not bad for the conference. Not at all. Not at all. I think, uh, and I think they have a real chance to. All right. Let's move on. The next team in the rankings going from bottom to the top. Washington State Cougars. All right. Washington State is actually 48th in the rankings right now, but here's the rub. They have 26 commitments already. Um, they have a 2.81 star average, 21 three stars, no four stars, no five stars. I don't know how they're going to close, but usually when you have that many commitments and you're just still hovering around the top 50, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, one of Arizona or Colorado actually bumps them down out of the top 50 because their class, at least to my naked eye, and we'll hear more from Barry Bolton, but at least to my naked eye, looks like it's pretty close to done as it is. So let's hear from Barry and see what's going on. This is Barry Bolton at KickFan.com. Washington State figures to bring in a recruiting class that might be short on four-star rankings, but they get high marks for offensive line recruiting and upgrading the speed on defense. 
Washington State's going to likely bring in six to seven offensive linemen this class when it's all said and done. Four of those six known commits right now, two days before signing day, are listed by scout.com at 6'6 or better, with the shortest listed at 6'4", so there's some height there. Offensive linemen aren't usually impact guys as true freshmen, but with any of the four wideouts expected to sign with Wazoo on Wednesday, they could all play as true freshmen. Isaiah Johnson had national offers, and at 6'3", and with his skill set, he could actually play slot or outside. He'll get his first look at slot this spring. Desmond Patman, also 6'3", chose Washington State over schools like Cal and Boise State. Grant Porter has more polish than your average prep wide receiver. And Bernard Bell, a guy that people aren't talking about as enough, has speed aplenty. Washington State's bringing in that aforementioned speed on defense above linebacker and in the defensive backfield. Linebacker Chima Onwoku and safety Robert Taylor are both capable of being upgrades for Washington State over last year, despite the fact they'll be complete competing to replace two graduating seniors at the will and safety spots. Washington State's also bringing in some good young corners to a good young corner group already on the roster. That competition level, both in the spring and especially in fall camp, should do nothing but help Washington State improve there in 2016 and beyond out on the island. Two days before signing day, the class lacks a DT and a quarterback. Yes, a quarterback. Washington State had a quarterback decommit in the spring, then they found their new guy in August. But Wazoo and he parted ways at the end of December with a new quarterback coming on board January 1st, but then Washington State and he parted ways in late January. It's not going to hurt Washington State in 2016 if they do pay a price for not taking a quarterback this class, barring in that 11th hour edition. That price will be paid down the road, if it is paid. But it is striking for Washington State not to take a quarterback in a recruiting class. Still, there's much to like with this class. Mike Leach might even proclaim it on Wednesday to be his best ever at Wazoo. From a big-picture standpoint, and a few years down the road, he might just well be proven right. Interesting stuff from Barry. I think he's he's got the right of it in theory, too, because whenever you take numbers, even if they are you know largely a three-star class, not many four-stars, not many five-stars, there's a real chance of guys panning out, and you know, I was kind of doing an analysis of UCLA's recruiting classes over the last years, and the hit rate, regardless of, you know, how highly rated the class was, I'm just going by the hit rate in terms of who ended up a starter or a real contributor, it's always about 50%. No matter if it's a bad class or a good class, there's going to be some bust relative to talent, there's going to be some real, you know, diamonds in the rough relative to talent, and if you get a hit rate on a 26-man class of 13 guys who actually end up contributors, then... I think they'll be in good shape. And, you know, if Washington State's good at developing talent, maybe it's even more than that. But, um, yeah, the quarterback stuff has been interesting there. They've had three decommits this cycle. And the most recent one was Quentin Davis, the St. John Bosco quarterback, who may go to Hawaii or Fresno State now. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. You would, you would think you look at what they do at Washington State. I don't know. If I was a quarterback, there was no way I'd ever decommit from Washington State if I was – if I wanted to, if I was, if I, would, I liked it enough to commit there, I could not think of a reason why I would not want to go there and just throw the football. And you, you got a former walk-on throwing for 400 yards a game. I mean, that's that's got to be just open your eyes. Yeah, I don't. I, I would, I would 100% do it if I was, you know, if I was one of the quarter, if I was a quarterback like Davis, who his other two major offers are Hawaii and Fresno State. I mean, if I have a choice to be in, you know, the I don't know, or what are they in now, the Mountain West? 
Um, or in yeah, both those two mouths. Yeah, or in the, I was gonna call him the whack, and then I was gonna get my uh, football card revoked. Um, <laughs> but uh, be those whack Mountain West teams, or you could be in the Pac-12 at a real school that's gonna throw the ball, you know, seventy times a game. I just, I don't think it's even a question. I'd go to Washington State. That's yeah. a weird one to me. It is, and uh, I, mean, I, but I agree with you on the hit rate stuff too. And uh, when we were covering, you know, USC recruiting in the past few years. With the sanctions, that was a big aspect of it. It what to me it wasn't really about it was more about the evaluation process that because you could only bring in fifteen instead of twenty-five, if you had a fifty percent hit rate, then you're talking about seven or eight guys that pan out, and that's yeah. terrible. So you really have to you can't have a fifty you have to have a higher than fifty percent hit rate. And I think they did, and I think that helped. You're still gonna get some busts, but you can't have the same, you know, the same exact kind of rate as you do at a twenty-five, twenty-six, whatever person class. You really are screwing yourself at that point. So it's, I get it. I mean, I think at a place like Washington State where you see guys come out of nowhere, just bringing in those extra bodies, you know, some of them guys are going to pan out and they're going to be, there's going to be the Luke Falks in there that you're like, wow, where, where'd that guy come from? Why, you know, he can be all Pac 12 now. Yeah. And I want to mention uh, Desmond Patman, the, uh, one of the receivers they're bringing in. I saw him at a seven on seven event in spring and he was one of those guys that we were just kind of walking around and I looked over and I'm like, who's that guy? Because he's like, I don't know. I think he's about six, four long, really athletic, just moves effortlessly. I think he's, uh, I think if I, if I remember correctly, he's still very new to football, new to the position. But if that guy pans out, I think he could be really, really good down the road. So I think, uh, Washington State got a potential steal in him. All right. We'll move on to the next team in the rankings. Oregon State Beavers. All right, the Beavs are coming in one spot ahead of Washington State at 47th in the overall rankings. They have 24 commitments, two four-stars, 13 three-stars, and the average star ranking of 2.71, which is, I think, the lowest in the Pac-12, but they've got a little bit of room to grow. I don't know if they're planning on taking more guys, but um, without Kalani Sataki, I think it's been a tough road over the last couple of months. So let's hear what our girl Angie has to say. This is Angie Machado with BeaverBlitz.com. Oregon State signing class is nearly full. They're sitting at 24 commitments. They have one more spot left open. And the class is really highlighted by two four-star signees, expected signees, and Sherrod Thompson, a four-star safety out of the Bay Area, and Christian Wallace, another four-star athlete out of Texas. Those two look to come in and uh, really make things happen and play early for the Oregon State Beavers who are coming off that 2-10 and ten season. Also, big is recruiting in Florida for Oregon State. They have commitments from five players from Florida, including Kenny Turnier, who uh, committed on the spot two weeks ago and then drew interest from Mississippi State, among others. He has visited this weekend and is completely solid with Oregon State. And the Beavers also picked up another Sunshine State wide receiver in Key Wetzel, a three-star out of Clearwater. Oregon State is looking to close big. There are still a couple question marks. Fred Mauagoa, the big-time offensive lineman out of American Samoa, is deciding between Washington, Washington State and Oregon State and was in Corvallis this weekend, as well as Bradley Anai, a defensive end linebacker-type player out of Kahuku, Hawaii. So uh, the Beavers still have a couple question marks heading into signing day. For all the latest, make sure to check out beaverblitz.com. We take care of Oregon State recruiting and all the coverage of all the sports. It's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to Oregon State over the next few years because I think a lot of what, you know, people were not, I don't think anybody was super high on Oregon State's potential, but I think there were a lot of people pretty hopeful 
with Gary Anderson coming in and especially bringing in Kawani Sataki as kind of that main recruiter. And I don't know how much of an effect his absence has had in the last two months, but you've got to build up talent there. You've got to build up some guys that, you know, however you get them, you know, JC, if you want to go the Utah route or just, you know, out evaluating other teams, but they've got to build up some talent and we'll see if it happens again. The same thing with Washington state. When you bring in numbers, when you bring in a, a full 25 man class, you'll, you'll get a hit rate and you'll get some guys who are diamonds in the rough will turn out. And they do have a couple of headliners and Sherrod Thompson, especially in Christian Wallace, who uh, have a lot of potential. Um, what's kind of your thought on Oregon state's potential from all that perspective, given what they can recruit up there? Yeah. You know, it's uh I, I like the direction it was going and, I think what you talk about Kalani Sataki moving. It seems to me that's a, it's a pretty big hit, uh, to this program. I think he was an important part of that. He, you know, I think with the, to be able to get him out of Utah, I thought was a huge coup. And then to lose him and now you're kind of, it's kind of like you're restarting again. I'm not sure, Dave. It's just to me, I had, there was some optimism there. You know, they lost, I think it's 11 straight Pac 12 games. Um, you thought that maybe year two of the Gary Anderson, uh, era would be, uh, you know, a, a way to kind of jumpstart things again, but losing Sataki, I think it's a huge part of what they wanted to do and what their identity was. And now you're just kind of be scrambling a little bit. Um, you know, I, I looked up and down the class a little bit. I like some of the guys, some of the guys we've got to see before. I like that they've gone into like Florida and get a bunch of guys out of, you know, out of there. And it's, I think it's going to depend kind of on the hit rate. I thought it might be a situation like you mentioned, maybe bringing in some more JC guys and trying to get some contributors right away. Um, and they might be asking some of these freshmen to play right away, but I, I thought that, would, uh, you know, that was one of the directions they could go. I don't know, Dave. I wanted to be optimistic about this team. I want, I really wanted to, but it's just the, my feeling is that next year is probably going to look a lot like, or this, this year, I guess is going to look a lot like last year, maybe fighting for one Pac 12 win again. And really, uh, that's not what the Beavers want to hear right now, but that, that's just kind of my view on it. Well, yeah. And all the, the basically all of their quarterbacks have transferred. I mean, how many guys have transferred from their quarterback depth chart now? Is it three? I think it's three. It's Seth like, Collins. I think Nick Mitchell transferred. Somebody else transferred too. McMarion's um, still there, right? Like Marcus McMarion. He's McMarion's still there, I think. Okay, but uh, they've had they've had some dudes transfer out. So but you, you think some... you think you're okay when you have three freshmen? <laughs> yeah, on... and then suddenly you don't. Suddenly yeah. you don't. All right. Well, let's let's move on to the next one. All right. Uh, thanks, Angie, for that one, and let's move on. Utah Utes. All right, these two Utes, uh, these Utes are 41st in the in the overall recruiting rankings. They are what is this now? Are we eighth in the uh, in the Pac-12? Um, 24 commitments, one five-star, 23 stars, 2.96 star average, six JC guys, 18 high school guys, shaping up to be a pretty Utah-esque class. You know, loading up with some JC guys, some high-quality. Uh, guys, especially linemen on both ends. Um, let's hear what Brian Swinney has to say. Hey, Dave, one, one thing real quick. I didn't realize Oregon State does have seven JC guys coming in. I didn't think that. I thought that was one and it was seven. So my bad. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Utah thing. My bad. Sorry about that. Utah's 2016 recruiting class on paper is going to go down as the best class in history, bar none for the school. And that's led by the number one junior college player in the entire country in our scout.com rankings. J.C. offensive tackle Garrett Bowles, who picked the Utes over the likes of Arkansas, Alabama, and a horde of other Pac-12 and SEC schools. He's going to slide right in and start that left tackle spot for the Utes next year and be an impact player. 
Utah's done a great job of addressing needs. Two quarterbacks in this class, including Troy Williams, the former quarterback at Washington who went the J.C. route and is now ending up at Utah, and the Florida Gatorade State Player of the Year quarterback Tyler Huntley, who also has one of her, excuse me, two of his teammates joining him at Utah in wide receiver Damari Simpkins and running back Zach Moss. The Utes have done a great job in the J.C. class. Wouldn't be a shocker if they landed David Luafatasaga, the four-star linebacker who'd be able to come in and start right away. Currently committed to Old Miss, but we like him to flip on Wednesday to the University of Utah. Utah will also likely pick up Wayne Kirby in this class. They've done a great job in state landing some very good players. Impact guys out of California, Devere Hamilton, the linebacker slash defensive end slash wide receiver slash tight end prospect, who's done a great job helping bring other prospects into the fold for the youth. This class has been a an example of what Utah can do when head coach Kyle Whittingham puts his nose to the grindstone and gets out there and recruits with the other coaches in the Pac-12. Whittingham has done a complete 180 in his approach to recruiting, getting out there personally, developing relationships with recruits, getting into homes as much as possible, and making as much contact as he possibly can. If this continues, Utah is going to continue to, to recruit at a level higher than they have in the last couple of years and should be able to inch their way up the Pac-12 chart. This is going to be a great class for the youth to do a better job developing their talent than probably anybody else in the entire Pac-12. There are a couple of really, really good points in what Brian said. First, that last one. Utah, I think from a talent development standpoint, you have to say that they are, if not the number one, at least number two or three. Oh, I mean, yeah. They are phenomenal in terms of the talent they get and the results they get out of it. They do a tremendous, tremendous job. The other thing I thought was interesting, talking about Kyle Whittingham's impact on the recruiting trail, the head coach, I don't know how many people know the ins and outs of it, but so much of the recruiting, the the, the heavy lifting in recruiting goes to the assistant coaches. And then in a lot of schools, the head coach just kind of closes. He's the guy who comes in on the final official or talks to people. Certain head coaches, though, they take it as a major part of their job. And I would say the best ones, you know, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, they're making phone calls throughout the year. They're doing Twitter. They're doing everything. And it's really interesting to see, you know, which head coaches do it, which head coaches don't, which co- head coaches emphasize it at certain times of the year and which ones don't. And it sounds like Whittingham's doing that. And I think no matter who the head coach is, that pays off. Because whenever you have a head coach, even if he's not a personable guy, even if he's not, you know, really going to win over a lot of families, whenever you get that personal attention, if you're a recruit from a head coach, it does wonders. It just, it, it, it's because so few, I think, actually devote that kind of time. No, I agree with you. The development part, 100%. I mean, no one's done more with less, I think, than Kyle Whittingham in Utah. And that's when you have a group of five school join a Power Five conference. There's some bumps in the road. And I think Utah's done a great job of taking it to the next level. We've seen teams like TCU really go on and bring on the national stage. I think that's what Utah is trying to do is get to that next level and actually, you know, win the Pac-12 South, win the Pac-12, go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, go to the playoff. And I think once you start recruiting at that notch up level, and they are doing that, if you look at the class, there's no four stars, which I thought they'd get one or two. Uh, you know, there's, there's a chance till at the end, but there's the, the thing that stands out to me, Dave, there's 20 three star guys. So that means the vast majority of their class, and they have one five star guy too with the JC guy, but the vast majority of their class are ranked. Like they're, the two stars are kind of like, you know, well, we saw that guy maybe once or whatever, and like he can play, but you know, these are all guys that someone wanted to bump up. And 
some analyst somewhere saw them and said, this guy's worthy of being a three-star player. So I think you could get a higher hit rate from that, especially the guys that Utah gets. They usually tend to pan out. They develop pretty well. The fact that all those guys were ranked you know, above, they just don't have many two stars. And that's the thing to me. It's not really about that guy's a four, that guy's a five, that guy's a three. The fact that they don't have any twos or hardly any twos means a lot to me. That's not something you would typically see from Utah in this class. And that's why I agree, um, you know, that you're saying that this could you know, be the best class in Utah history. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So good close for Utah coming up and they'll sign a pretty nice class. Who's up next? Next up is California Golden Bears. The sturdy Golden Bears coming in at 36th in the overall rankings. Uh, 24 commitments, so not a whole ton of room to move up. Um, one four-star, 19 three-stars. Um, it looks like 20 high school guys, four JC guys, 2.88 average star ranking. So right there in with a lot of these other schools. Um, Let's hear what Ryan Gorsey has to say about the Bears and how they're going to close over the final couple of days. This is Ryan Gorsey of BearTerritory.net to break down California's recruiting class. So far, 24 commits. 23 of those are solid, with the 24th being Paco Francisco Perez. He's going to be announcing his commitment between Cal or UCLA on National Signing Day. Big offensive guard, one of the top guys in the 2016 class out west as far as offensive linemen are concerned. There's certainly the temptation for him to stay close to home with Baldwin Park native to his family and go to UCLA, but he's been committed to the Bears since the summer, made a big official visit on the January 22nd weekend that still left him conflicted after having visited Westwood the week before. That, to me, is going to be the biggest thing for signing day. We expect Victor Veramonte, the Norco quarterback, uh, athlete guy who could potentially be a linebacker in the future, but it looks like he's going to be coming in at quarterback. Looks like he'll be making his announcement on signing day. A.J. Brown, wide receiver out of Mississippi, four-star guy, would be a huge coup for the Golden Bears to be able to get him. He'll be making his choice between Cal, Mississippi, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Now a guy who's going to be making his decision after signing day, five-star Demetrius Robertson. Cal certainly in the mix there, maybe not as much as a lot of folks think. But assistant coach Jacob Peeler has really been making inroads with Robertson over the past two weeks until, of course, the recent dead period fell until signing day. Cal got five defensive backs in this class. One, Marla Sean Franklin, who's going to be an early, who is an early enrollee. He could potentially move into the safety role, which is big because Cal, of course, is losing Stephen McClure, a senior safety there. Also, bolstering the defensive backfield is going to be losing Darius White. Next half, you know, after this season, so they need another starting cornerback. Cal certainly brought in plenty of contenders for that spot. Losing Cal's six top wide receivers, well, the Bears had to restock, and they certainly did that, bringing in six receivers. Uh, the guys I'm excited about in that particular class, Logan Gamble, who had an offer from UCLA. It wasn't really publicized because he was so committed to Cal, didn't really want to bring anyone down with that, but he's out of Long Beach, St. Anthony's. A long, rangy, six foot six athlete, Matt Laris, also six four, six foot five receiver out of Washington, a state champ there. And then, of course, Melquise Stovall, who's going to be an inside receiver and a little bit of a slot back. He'll take, he'll be taking some reps at running back, but he'll mainly replace Bryce Strikes. He and Jordan Vesey, a JUCO wide receiver that the Bears got, are pretty much one to one replacements. Stovall replacing Bryce Strikes 
and VC almost identical to Darius Powell, so he'll be replacing him on the outside with the Golden Bears. Cal also got very much bigger on the offensive line, thanks to really saying goodbye to the vertical pass set and going more for the traditional one. Now, they're still not really doing three-point stances, but they're doing more kick slide and kick steps. So that's certainly helping the offensive line recruiting. Five offensive linemen currently committed. The Bears wanted to get Nate Herbig. I think that's one of their big misses, former Stanford commit, recommitted to Stanford after his visit to Cal. That was the guy that Cal really, really wanted. But, you know, they still have three offensive tackle commits, all six foot three or taller, and two offensive guards, all six foot three or taller. So, uh, you have, you, you have, you have five offensive linemen each at six foot three and a half or taller and, uh, and, and at least 300 pounds. So very, very big up front. Cal's doing very well. And they got an early enrollee. They got two early enrollees in Dwayne Wallace who potentially take over that right guard spot for Jordan Rigsby. Big, big, heavy-handed, meaty offensive guard out of Riverside Community College. They got him in and they have six foot seven Jake Curhan at a Larkspur Redwood High School, who's going to be a developmental guy, but certainly could potentially be a uh, Cal starting tackle going forward. Uh, the defensive line, Cal also got bigger there, bringing in defensive tackles, uh, Chris Yagi and Rusty Becker. Rusty Becker is a defensive tackle that they found at, at their post-grad camp. They really surprised them, barrel-chested, big guy, lots of power, so he'll be able to come in. Cal, of course, losing a lot of their defensive tackle depth this year with Mustafa Jalil and uh, David Davis uh, being gone. So they're going to be looking to kind of recharge in the middle there as well as with their, their five or six guys they brought in last year along the defensive line. And then, of course, Cal has three defensive ends, all six foot three, 240 pounds at least coming in. And they shored up uh, Chinidu Udiyaku uh, out, of, out, of, uh, out of Maryland. He's uh, he's Chicago-born out of Maryland to Nigerian parents. He's uh, he, a big guy that they really needed to secure, and they did that with his official visit last weekend when he visited with Vera Market. That's Cal's summary of the 2016 recruiting class for BearTerritory.com. This is Ryan Gorsey. All right, good stuff from our man Gorsey. Uh, it sounds like Cal's got the potential to have a finish with a pretty good class. Um, he did say the one potential deep commit was uh, Paco Perez, uh, the three-star offensive guard. But they're bringing in, uh, I think, a lot of needs. They're replacing a lot of receivers, uh, bringing in some defensive ends. Um, it sounds like, again, it's one of those classes where it's going to be all about the hit rate, but it sounds like they're bringing enough talented bodies that I think there should be a potentially good one. Yeah, and the, the hit rate's important, and it's it's funny. We, you know, we cover, we've covered a lot of signing days, Dave, and uh, there's always there's kind of optimism, and the numbers don't always paint the right picture because you, you can hear, like Ryan, talk about the class and where the needs are and what the, the shift is going to be with the team and, and why these guys are going to fit in. And not every guy's going to pan out, but it looks like there's a good plan in place and you're trying to fill, they're filling in the right spots, I guess. And sometimes recruiting classes are more grab baggy, willy nilly. This sounds like more, it's more of a cohesive uh, class where you put together and there's a reason behind why you bring in this many offensive linemen and why you, you know, losing all those wide receivers, you got to fill, fill in those, you know, th- those kind of things. I, I like the way he's kind of describing how they're, they're putting this class together. Yeah, from what I know of UCLA, and I think this goes for a lot of schools, you have a, a board at the beginning where it's got, well, we need three of these guys, we need three of these guys, we need three at this position and four at this position or whatever it is. And then it kind of changes as the cycle goes on and you see who you can get and who you can't. Um, and needs change. You know, from the beginning of a cycle, you might have an idea about what your needs are, but by the end it could be a wholly different thing because of transfers or injuries or who panned out during the year or who didn't. 
and then you've got a whole new idea about what you're doing. It sounds like Cal's replacing a lot of guys who graduated and, you know, went on to the NFL. Um, but I think for every school, it's, it's kind of a, it's a varying thing that goes on throughout a year. So I think it's, you know, you can have an, a design, like we're going to replace Darius Poe with this guy, or we're going to replace Bryce Treggs with this guy. But the way it pans out might have nothing to do with that. It might just be, this is the best talent we could get based off our needs at the moment. And we, we, we did the best we could. They, uh, 19 guys are ranked three star. They're just, uh, actually just below, um, Utah as far as the average star rankings. But, you know, I, I like the way it's coming together. Again, a lot of guys ranked, you know, Washington State's got a similar sort of thing with 21 guys that were, were three stars. And, you know, we, we talk about the four stars a lot, especially when you're covering USC and UCLA. You're, they're mostly four and five star guys. Um, but you know that the programs that, you know, the TCUs of the world and all the teams that they, they beat the power teams, they beat the bigger teams. They, their classes don't usually look like four and five star guys. The, a lot of three star guys are great or better than what you see. You just know that they can play. And like we thought about Utah is developing. And I think what you have to do with Sonny Dykes is make sure you're kind of developing this talent. Is there going to be a one on one replacement for Bryce Treggs? Probably not, but you get, you bring in guys that you feel have the potential and then one of them emerges and, by their second year, they're like, wow, that guy could be Bryce Treggs. But it's not, I don't think you're going out trying to find some five-star guy to come in and, and take his spot right away. No, not at all. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think, um, I, I did a thing, a long, long involved analysis last year, and it came out that the best, the teams that performed the best relative to their, their recruiting ranking were kind of the obvious ones that you'd think. Michigan State, TCU, and Kansas State. And Kansas State, it's kind of a weird one because they have that weird walk-on program and the JC thing that they do. So I kind of threw that one out there as an outlier. But TCU and Michigan State both perform way outperform their recruiting rankings. And that's why Gary Patterson and Mark D'Antonio are known as two of the you know best coaches in the business. For Pac-12 purposes, interesting to note, UCLA was by far the, the, the one that underperformed its recruiting ranking the most. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because UCLA, for all those Durrell and New Heisel years, they were actually pretty decent recruiting-wise and just sucked. Sucked, sucked, sucked. So there you go. All right. Fact of the day. Fact of the day for everyone. Well, all right, we're at the midway point. We're at the midway point. Well, yeah, we are. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say, UCLA's got a chance. I mean, they're the top-ranked Pac-12 school right now. So when, when you're ranked higher, it's easier to underachieve, I guess, too. Um, yeah. So, okay, yeah. well, let's move on. We're now in the, t- like you said, in the top 30 in the uh, scout.com ranking. So half of the Pac-12 is in the top 30 in the country. I think that's pretty good. And we're going to start with Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> ASU comes in at number 30, uh, sixth place in the Pac-12 right now, but with a chance to rise. Uh, they have 18 commitments, um, six four-stars, 12 three-stars. So every single one of their commitments is at least a three-star. And they have a 3.33 star average, which is... Very good. That's that's right where you kind of want to be. And um, ASU, interestingly enough, Arizona, Jason Shear was talking about a little bit earlier, Lamar Jackson, the uh, big-time four-star safety who's deciding between Nebraska, Arizona, and ASU. Uh, there's some thinking that ASU might be in the lead for that, so they could close with him and uh, potentially a few others. So let's turn to Chris Cartman, who might have some thoughts on uh, on what's going on with ASU. Chris Cartman, Sun Devil Source, talking about Arizona State's recruiting class. Now, the Sun Devil started out pretty hot. Uh, they had a lot more commitments than they typically uh, had early in the, the cycle, uh, ahead of um, just the start of the season, and then continued pretty strong 
through the December signing period, they signed probably the top junior college class in the country. They have seven kids who are in the top 100 uh, scout JUCO uh, rankings. Um, a lot of those guys are going to be on campus for the spring, and, and that's a big thing because they need help immediately, especially in the secondary where they really struggled uh, this past season. Uh, so they got two junior college defensive backs, Maurice Chandler and Jamarcus Rhodes, both of whom uh, have a chance to come in and, and probably play right away. They have a junior college defensive end who's uh, led California in sacks um, the last year and a half, the last two years, really. Uh, Doug Suttle, he's not a, a mid-year, but he's an impact type of a guy at that position group. And then ASU, of course, has a few other high school prospects who are uh, of note. Uh, in particular, Nikhil Harry, who's one of the top receivers in the West, a uh, local guy they were able to convince to stay home. His teammate, Chase Lucas, is also a four-star prospect, Scout 300, uh, was impressive at the U.S. Army Bowl uh, as a defensive back where he's never really played. Uh, I think both of those guys are, are big guests for ASU. And then Dylan Sterling Cole, who's a four-star quarterback, uh, competed at the Elite 11, the opening, Semper Fi Bowl, looked good. The, um, ASU's got some, some big names. The problem that they've had in this class is finishing. Haven't done a very good job in that regard. Uh, in fact, no, no, um, commitment for ASU in the last five to six weeks, which is almost unheard of really in January this time of year. And the reason for that is, of course, because, uh, Mike Norvell, uh, left from the offensive coordinator to become the head coach at Memphis. He took with him Chip Long, who's the offensive assistant. Uh, as his offensive coordinator at Memphis, and, and Chris Ball, who is a secondary coach at ASU, to be his defensive coordinator. So Norvell, Ball, and Long are, are three of ASU's top recruiters. A lot of the guys that they were in on here late in the cycle have ended up going to other schools. Uh, and, and so ASU's class has stalled to a large degree. It's not going to equal uh, last year's class, which was the best I've seen since I've been doing this, the number 17 class ranked in the country by scout. Uh, but still a solid class that he's put, putting together. And um, who knows, maybe there'll be a, a couple guys on signing day. Uh, they're, they're still awaiting word on Lamar Jackson. I think he's probably headed to Nebraska, Calvin Bundage, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, ASU, Bo Bisharat, uh, decommitted from Stanford, looking at Nebraska, Arizona State, maybe Colorado. Uh, so there, there's a few guys that are out there. Um, I don't know that ASU is really a favorite for any of these higher-profile guys at this stage, but uh, even without them, I, I would say it's still a relatively solid class, all things considered. So uh, that kind of wraps up ASU's recruiting class for 2016. This is uh, Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source. All right, good stuff from Chris. Uh, it doesn't sound like he thinks ASU is going to close with too many more guys. Um, this is, I mean, he probably nailed it. I mean, a huge amount of that not closing over the last five or six weeks with any more guys it has to do with Mike Norvell, who was a key recruiter for ASU. In addition to all the other assistants they've lost, I think they lost another assistant today to, I think, join Norvell. Um, so there's a, there's definitely been a little bit of a vacuum there, but I think anytime ASU, you know, you finish in the top 30, I think you got to be relatively happy with the class. And it sounds like they've got some impact JC guys coming in. So that's key. That's a, I mean, a huge amount. Arizona State, does a good job of recruiting junior college players and, uh, but to have eight of the 18 commitments and a bunch of them, uh, the key to me, 
when you can get them on campus early. If you can get them to be early enrollees, I think a lot of times when we're covering JC recruiting, both USC and UCLA don't recruit a lot. Um, but one of the difficult things is being able to get guys in early. And yeah. if, if they're, they don't, they don't have all the credits or they didn't graduate or whatever it is and they can't get in early, it's, it's a lot harder to get them in. So the fact that Arizona State brought in a bunch of guys and, and they're already in, you know, on campus, they can take part in spring football. Those are going to be early contributors, but that's a, that's a huge percentage, Dave, to have eight of 18 right now be out of the JC ranks. Yeah. And to get them in by spring is obviously very key. Now those guys can contribute for spring practice, get ready for the season. And then you've got, you know, seven guys because they were JC, they're physically ready. You've got guys who can instantly contribute. And I think if, if you're a school who can get in JC guys like ASU can, like Utah can, like Oregon State can, you'd be foolish not to because those guys in general are going to be more developed and more ready than they, the high school guy. And if it's, you know, if it's sustainable for you, if you can consistently get guys, if there are feeder schools that make sense for ASU, if there are feeder schools that make sense for Utah, it's silly not to take JC guys because they, they can generally contribute a lot earlier and a lot better than high school kids. All right, let's move on. We're now in the top 25, Dave. Here you go. Washington Huskies. <laughs> the dogs come in at 24th in the overall rankings, but it's a pretty good bang for your buck class. They've only got 17 commitments at 24th. Um, they have a 3.47 star average, which is actually third in the Pac-12. Um, but they've had a, they've had a really nice cycle. They've taken some recruits or some commitments from guys who a lot of people would have thought would have gone elsewhere. Um, you know, one of them was Byron Murphy, who ASU actually thought it had a really good chance at. Um, Arizona kid took him from them. Uh, really, really good athlete. Um, they've got a really nice class shaping up. Camille Eifler, a top 100 guy. Um, UCLA was the strong pursuit of a bunch of other schools were after. Um, they've got a really, really nice class going right now. Um, and it's shaping up. They're one of the schools that really can't take JC guys too easily. They're 17 commitments. They're all from high school. Um, they've got eight four-star guys, nine three-star guys. I really, really like their class, and I think that they can close on a few more guys. I think it's going to be one of those building block classes for Chris Peterson's program. But let's hear from our man, Chris Fetters. All right. This is Chris Fetters of uh, Dogman.com, the Washington site for the Scout.com network, here with a kind of a capsule analysis of Washington's 2016 football recruiting class. Uh, it's going to be a small class for the Huskies, uh, 17 to 18 anticipated signees on Wednesday. And 17 to 18 was about the number that we expected going in. And, um, you know, literally with a few days to go, not too much to talk about in terms of their close, although there are a few big fish still out there, namely Devin Asiasi and Bostagaloa, both from De La Salle, both looking at Michigan, USC, UCLA, and Washington as some of their finalists. Uh, there's a thought that uh, maybe a guy like Devin Asiasi or Boss Tagaloa, maybe one of them might end up at Washington. If that happens, then they'll definitely try to make room for those guys and figure out the numbers later. But right now, a class of 17, they had a big kind of last week of recruiting before the week of signing day. They picked up four uh, recruits. The, the first two were two very, very big ones, two out-of-state commits in Levi Anwazarike, from Allen High School, considered arguably the top high school program in the entire country, uh, top defensive end, ranked 101 in the scout.com 300. And then right uh, the very next day, Byron Murphy 
out of Saguaro High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, picked Washington over homeschool ASU, the number 111 player in the country out of the scout top 300. So those two were big pickups. And then ASU hit another blow as Kamari Pleasant, who was once committed to Arizona State as an as a defensive player, uh, was picked up by Washington as a more of an offensive player, even though he's kind of a pure athlete, 6'1", 185 pounds. And then uh, Jordan Chin out of Chaminade in Southern California, a bigger, rangier wide receiver who was once committed to San Diego State, uh, flipped after taking his uh, official visit to Washington the weekend before. So that was a big finish for Washington. Again, if they get a, a Boss Tagaloa or a Devon Asiasi, that could really swing the thing in their momentum as well. Uh, right now, they're ranked, I think, fifth in the Pac-12 rankings for Scout.com in terms of overall points. But if you look at stars uh, per player, stars per recruit, they're third right now at 3.47 stars per prospect. And if they could get one of those four-star guys in the boat during signing day, that could even push them up uh, into a battle with Oregon to try to be second behind USC. So right now it's a, it's a pretty balanced class. They're definitely getting some great athletes and good players on defense, given their reputation now as being the top defense in the Pac-12. You know, guys like Byron Murphy, guys like Levi Anwarzarike. Then you add to that four-star Isaiah Gilchrist, uh, four-star corner Kentrell Love, who is at number 254 in the Scout 300. And then you add linebackers like Camillo Eifler, number 94 in the Scout 300. Um, you've got Brandon Wellington, number 100 in the Scout 300. Those guys are both top linebackers. And uh, and then you add like a Taylor Rapp from Seahome High School in Bellingham, Washington, who's already enrolled at the University of Washington Safety. So you've got a number of, of great players on defense. And then on offense, they've added some skill players. They added uh, Arizona Gatorade State Player of the Year and Daniel Bridge Gad, a 6'2 quarterback out of Paradise Valley in Phoenix. And then you added California's Gatorade State Player of the Year and um, the Long Beach Press-Telegrams Player of the Year uh, in Sean McGrew from St. John Bosco, uh, just a lightning bug, just a, a guy who can do a lot of damage in a number of different ways. Not the biggest kid in the world, but very, very, very quick and very, very productive. So overall, uh, a, a you know, like I said, a balanced class, not a huge class, but you've got some some really, really talented kids, some some U.S. Army All-Americans like Luke Wattenberg and, and Eifler and uh, and guys like that. And then you add to uh, it the just kind of adding to the things that they've already done defensively and kind of the um, kind of the uh, reputation that they've already built for themselves defensively by being by bringing in some more uh, top four-star athletes. So right now it looks like they're going to stand pat with 17 guys. They might get a signing day surprise in uh, either Boss Tagaloa or Devin Asiasi. Maybe a guy like a Nikhil Harry from ASU who we've heard down in Arizona there could be maybe some rumblings. I still expect him to sign with ASU, but you never know. And uh, so, like I said, if at this point they don't expect any decommits. They expect to stand pat with 17 guys. Maybe a signing day surprise. And if they do get one or two signing day surprises, they'll definitely have to try to make room for those guys. All right. Good stuff on Washington there. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, I think this is a really, really nice class for Washington. Um, I, I think they've got some impact guys. I think they're, they're definitely upgrading the talent level up there, particularly with, I, I love Sean McGrew. I think he's going to be a really, really good player in college. I think, 
you know, a lot of people say, oh, he can't play running back because he's only 5'6 and the whole deal, and he's going to have to fit in in a bunch of different ways. If you watched him at Bosco, the dude can play running back. I mean, he's tough. He gets tough yards. He can run between the tackles. I don't know if he's going to be a 20-carry-a-game guy, but I think he could be a 12 to 15 carries, catch a few balls out of the backfield, you know, return a few punts, return a few kicks. I think he's going to make a huge, huge impact. He's one of my favorite players in this class. Um, but overall, I think Washington's got a really, really great class. I think they, and if they do close, I, I'm not in, I don't think they're going to get Ossie Ossie or Tagaloa. Um, I think one of the other two schools that we're going to talk about in a little bit are going to get them. But, um, I think they've, they, they've got a really, really nice class. It's a really nice building block for that program. And, you know, we've talked about it before. We think Washington might be poised to take over the North in the next year or two. Um, I don't think this class is going to hurt them at all in that endeavor. Uh, Sean McGrew, one of my favorite recruits, uh, like Dave said, I agree with him 100%. I, I tend to love Dave, the shorter, which I don't know. It's not someone I relate to. I was never like some quick guy. I'm like the tall, lanky guy. Um, but the short, uh, running backs, they're just like jitterbug dudes. And you watch McGrew, man. I, you know, we, I think since sophomore year, maybe even his freshman year at Bosco, um, just, just remember watching him for years, just always making plays and, you know, he's amazing to watch. And I think he's going to do some really good things in that system. And when you're talking about, you know, when, when Steve Sarkeesian was up there, yeah, they got a bunch of four-star guys and they, they recruited really well. I think the difference with Peterson is, and you wanted to know, you know, he could take the three-star guy and make him really good. Was he going to be able to go out and compete and still get some of the, the four-star talent that you kind of need in the Pac-12 to compete with the Oregons and the Stanfords in the North? And I think he's starting to do that. And if you keep that same system where now you're bringing guys that are a little more talented, but you're still able to develop them and keep the work ethic and, and make them shine at that level, that's why I think people are really high on Washington kind of making that leap. And it's it's a really good recruiting class. It's not that big, but like like Chris said, it's a high, you know, almost four and a half stars uh, in the rankings right now, two top 100 players. It's not the kind of stuff you would recruit. Out. You didn't have those kind of classes at Boise. Now you're going to have that at Washington and try to even take it to the next level after that. And of course, with the development, it should be, uh, it could be really special up there, what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Should we move on to number four? Let's move on to number four. We have USC Trojans. All right. USC is coming in at number 23 in the overall rankings right now with 13 commitments. So obviously a ton of room to grow. Uh, but a high quality class, uh, six, four stars, three, five stars, four, three stars, uh, 3.92 star average. So a very, very good quality of recruit. Numbers aren't quite there yet there. So Ryan, tell us how many more are we looking to sign if, uh, if, uh, if we're looking at USC's class? Yeah. So, uh, USC ended up blue shirting, uh, five guys last year. And so that, if you don't know what that means, it's basically because they were coming off the sanctions. They were going to try to get that number, their overall number up closer to 85. They weren't able to do that when the sanctions were over. So they brought in their, the normal class of 25, but they also brought in five kind of extra guys that were blue shirts. And if you're blue shirt someone, that means they, you couldn't uh, take an official visit. They couldn't get an in-home visit from the head coach and they wouldn't have a written scholarship offer. But if they don't do all those things, then what they can do is they can they can uh, join the class and play in the 2000, you know, the, that year. So they could play in 2015. They just don't, uh, they're not given a scholarship until the second day of fall camp. So they have to be given a scholarship after fall camp starts. So all the other guys are on, you know, on campus either in the spring, if they're an early enrollee or they come in the summer and they start working out. 
If you blue shirt, you can't do that. Uh, you can come on your own dime, but you don't get a scholarship until the second day of fall camp. But if you do that, you can play right away, but your, your scholarship counts towards the next year. So it's this weird kind of rule. So anyway, you're basically borrowing off of next year. Um, and that's what Steve Sarkeesian did. He borrowed five guys off of USC's 2016 class and brought them in. So now Clay Helton only has 20 guys to sign, uh, which is about how many they would have left under the 85 limit. So it's not a huge deal, but it's going to be a smaller class. Now this, the 13 guys, they had 14. They got a decommitment recently and actually had a, a decommit recommit at the exact same, on the same day or the date, you know, within 24 hours. Velas Jones, uh, the wide receiver out of Alabama, Decommitted. He'd been a long time commit. Then he recommitted within 24 hours. So that was kind of fun. He committed to Oklahoma and then committed to USC, uh, right back after that. That's but, fun. and it's kind of fun. I think you, you texted me or tweeted me or something when that happened. You're like, what's going on? Uh, but it was a great question because it's hard to tell what's going on because they haven't really, since Clay Hilton's been named, they haven't really made new strides with this recruiting class and built on the 13 or 14 guys that they had. They really haven't had a commitment for a long time. Um, and except unless you want to count Velas Jones, who was a commit and then just decommitted and recommitted again. And usually when you see USC on signing day, there's three, four, five local high ranking dudes that they feel they have a pretty good shot at. And Steve Sarkeesian, to his credit, he nailed it the last two years on signing day. Um, four and five star guys it was, it had a hundred percent hit rate. Like he got, you know, uh, Juju Smith and a Dory Jackson. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware, Ryan. Okay. Well aware. I don't need to belabor the point. <laughs> Do, there was a, I think, UCLA had like a 12% hit rate or something below 10% or something like that. One of the day. Was that? Solid to say. Yeah. Was that accurate? I think that was 2014. That would be the day of the, uh, of the 10% hit rate. 10%. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Sark was able to close on signing day. Did a really good job. It's going to be tougher, Dave, for USC to do it this year. I mean, really tough because there's really only one local highly ranked guy, Jack Jones out of Long Beach Poly, that's going to announce like in Southern California, someone you could drive to. Everyone else, there's guys in Northern California, but mostly it's out-of-state guys. And you know the hit rates on out-of-state guys are a lot less than would they be local, in-state. So they have to try to close with seven dudes, and I think they want to get a full class of 20. I think the coaches really want to do that. I don't know if they're going to get there. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be a real, It's a different kind of signing day around USC. The numbers are still there as far as average star ranking, but just not the the overall numbers. You thought maybe at this point – 15, 16, 17 commits, and then you kind of close on the last couple. They haven't closed on anybody for a couple months, I think it was. So to do that on signing day with a lot of out of state guys on the, you know, on the docket, it's going to be interesting. You know, USC fans aren't used to kind of disappointing signing days. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there's, there's certainly potential there for that to happen. How critical is it to hit the number to like hit 20 and get the full 20? I mean, given. You know, I, I don't know what USC's roster situation is at this point, but how critical is it to get that extra seven? You know, the last four or five years, it's been critical to get the max. Um, it ha- because if you had 15 and you only signed 13, you're, you're screwed. Or if you had two extras left over and your 15 turned into 17, you got to get them all. I think this year it's not as critical. Everything we've heard from inside USC is that they, they wanted to get to 20 and, and without people leaving and stuff, it's going to put them right around 85. So they would actually be back fully back from the sanctions finally. But if not, if it's only 18, I don't think that's too, the number wise is too terrible. It depends on who you, you know, they miss on and if they're really lacking defensive linemen or whatever. I don't think it's as critical because you could bring in a couple extra next year. They haven't had the ability to have. 
an early, you know, counter or someone that rolled over from the previous class because they've had to fill them up. So it's been, it's the last four or five years, Dave, they've had to hit that number this year. If they fall a little short, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it will, it'll still be, it'll still be disappointing. I think for USC fans, because only getting a class of 17 or 18 after sanctions, people will be kind of scratching their heads a little bit. All right. So for, uh, for, for the UCLA listeners, it's probably comprised about 50% of our listener base, unfortunately, for <laughs> all Pac-12 schools. So what are you thinking on uh, Devin Asiasi? You know, when I talked to him at the Army Bowl, and uh, and I never talked to him before, like in person, I did a video interview with him, and Gerard was there, and he was just glowing about USC. We didn't, we totally didn't expect that. And after that, we were like, man, he's, he's probably coming to USC. It's I think it's shifted since uh you know Marcus Duasasopo left and I it's hard to get a read on him he doesn't really you know he doesn't talk a ton um I'm kind of I think maybe like a week ago I thought he was coming to USC at this point I'm kind of thinking he goes elsewhere but you know I don't, we'll we'll see that that's why it's going to be an interesting kind of signing day cuz a guy like that could make a huge difference a guy like Jack Jones could make a huge difference yeah, and, and a guy like that, I think Asiasi, he's a guy you can directly point to that if there hadn't been coaching turnover, like if there hadn't been the turmoil over the last, you know, four or five months, let alone, you know, hiring Kelly Helton or whatever it was, but if there hadn't been the whole hubbub, he would have been a Trojan. Like, yeah, I, I, and we all would have locked it in probably a month and a half ago. But with all the hubbub, it's kind of it's kind of become a little wishy-washy. Yeah. All right, should we move on to number yeah. three? Yeah. We got a, this is a long podcast, man, but that's all right. We, we haven't done one for a little while. So, uh, and this is good stuff. Recruiting is always good. So hopefully people are enjoying this. Let's move on to Oregon Ducks. All right. The Ducks are up at number 17 with 18 commitments. So relatively small class, but again, fairly highly ranked. So Oregon's recruiting kind of like a team that's been competing for national championships the last few years. Uh, nine, four stars, nine, three stars, very balanced class, nine offensive, nine defensive. 17 high school kids, one JC, 3.5 star average. Very nice class by all, you know, of these statistical measures. But let's hear the kind of objective stuff, the stuff about, uh, all the, well, kind of the subjective stuff, all the stuff about the quality of the recruits from Steve Summers. In January 2015, the Oregon Ducks appeared in the national championship game. So it is sort of a shocking turn of events that the 2016 recruiting class, while apparently meaning the needs of the Ducks next season is, uh, in fact, underwhelming. While the Ducks may have only uh, have a couple of spots left, none of the potentials, uh, including linebacker Caleb Kelly and defensive end Connor Murphy, seem destined to come to Eugene. Oregon picked up a, uh, its last recruit uh, on Friday when four-star linebacker Keith Sims committed to the Ducks but he was the first verbal since December 13th when athlete Tristan Wallace flipped from Ohio State. Oregon may have only 18 in this class, but I doubt any program in the country is feeling sorry for Mark Elfridge, as Oregon also picked up quarterback Dakota Prukop from uh, Montana State. Prukop decided to use his final year of eligibility in the FBS uh, division and obviously would like a chance to move uh, his draft status up uh, and follow in the footsteps of Vernon Adams and possibly Marcus Mariota to the NFL. Uh, the highlight uh, headliner so far uh, in this class is Wallace, a versatile athlete who had been a Buckeye for most of the recruiting year. 
The Ducks have nine four-stars in this class and nine three-stars, mostly on defense, particularly uh, in the linebacker position where five of the recruits are possibly slated to go. Helfridge also shored up the quarterback depth issue with Terry uh, Wilson, a player very similar to the likes of Dennis Dixon or Darren Thomas, plus a raw talent uh, in Justin uh, Herbert, uh, who's actually from uh, Eugene. Uh, uh, other significant, uh, another significant point, and possibly where, uh, uh, why uh, there isn't a lot of commotion at this time in Oregon recruiting, is that eight of the recruiting class are already in school, and two more will be in school before spring workouts begin. Uh, so it's a sort of a fizzle as far as the Normal uproar over letter of intent they go, but we'll see with uh, Kelly and uh, Connor Murphy. So anyway, this is Steve Summers reporting for educk.com. So uh, Steve sounds a little down in the class, but honestly, I, I think he might, I mean, uh, he probably knows more than I, but I think he might be underselling it a little bit. I think their linebacker class is really, really fantastic. I mean, they've got three, four, four-star guys at linebacker including one of my favorite players in the class and Lamar Winston. They've got a few of my three stars that I actually think are going to pan out really well. Hunter Campmoyer, he didn't perform well at the uh, Nike camp in Oakland, and I think that's a big part of why he maybe didn't kind of see him continue to rise up from a three-star to a four-star. But he's got a lot of tools, and I really liked his film. Um, Logan Bathke, he's a guy that UCLA tried to move on, but they were a little bit too late, and he was pretty much down the road with Oregon, but I liked him a lot. Um, I think they've got some pieces. Troy Dye is another one who's a long athletic safety, could even play linebacker down the road. Um, but I think they've got a lot of nice pieces in this class. It's not going to have the numbers, but I think from, you know, they got they got a, a lot of really good four stars that I like, and they've got some three stars that I think have potential to be pretty damn good. So I like their class a lot. Um, but obviously Steve, Steve knows a little bit more about the situation up there than I do, but Getting Prukop in addition to this group of 18, I think, would be pretty solid. I like the uh, running back, too, out of Hawaii, like Vave Malapai. Oh, yeah. Mal- yeah, he's a dude. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a, he was, a, I think he was an Army All-American, too. Yeah, um, yeah, he, I, I believe he was, and he was, I, I can't remember which Nike camp he was the running back MVP of, but, I mean, he was doing stuff at that camp that was just kind of eye-opening. Just, he's a pretty big guy, but just... You know, stopping on a dime, just avoiding guys. He was he was really impressive, really good agility for his size. But I think yeah, I think Steve was underselling it a little bit. I don't know if there was just expecting more of a, a big wow factor. And I know like when you got that national championship there, were you expecting to be on with a couple of five star guys? You know, potentially. You know, they, they I guess you you could have that kind of expectation. But having a three and a half star average, uh, number two in the conference behind SC, uh, definitely don't think that's a bad deal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. See, usually when you talk about ranking, you have like, uh, recruiting rankings, you don't hear like the kind of, well, that's kind of, it's not as good. But it, to me, it looks pretty good from the outside. Yeah. And you got to remember with Oregon, um, they've got to take most of their recruits from elsewhere. Like they've got to get guys from LA. They've got to get guys from Texas. They've got to get guys from the South. They've got to recruit nationally. And when you're recruiting nationally, you're recruiting against Alabama and LSU consistently. You're recruiting against Texas consistently. You're recruiting against Texas A&M consistently. You're recruiting against Ohio State and Michigan consistently. And, you know, UCLA and USC run into that in LA, but largely they can just pick and choose their LA guys and then go national when it's a good situation that makes sense. 
Oregon has to go nat- national by rule. And so whenever they finish in this top 20 range and they've closed on some pretty good guys and they've cleaned up in state the way they have with Lamar Winston and guys like that, I kind of think that's a really good class for them. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, from an outsider perspective, but I think given the limitations of recruiting at Oregon in terms of your location, um, and not that Eugene is in a lovely place and the Nike and everything, but in terms of getting guys, you know, thousands of miles away to come to your school, I think, I think they did a really nice job this class. Yeah, for sure. And we know the development and working in that system, you get good athletes in that system and the higher ranked, the better they'll even work. So, um, exactly. all right, let's move on. We only got two left. Stanford Cardinal. The tree coming in at number 12 in the overall rankings with 23 commitments, uh, three top 100 guys, 10 four stars, 11 three stars. 3.35 star average. Of course, no JC guys. This is Stanford. Uh, 23 high school kids, 13 offensive, eight defensive. Um, closed on a few guys this week. Lost kind of the, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but they lost their, you know, typical three or four in January who just couldn't make it past admissions. But even still, this is shaping up to be a, a real building block class for David Shaw as he reloads that program after this, this group of guys, Kevin Hogan and all of them finally left the program. Uh, real building block class this year. Um, do we have our man RJ? Is RJ going to tell us what's going on with this class? We do. Here you go. The Stanford Cardinal looks to wrap up a fantastic recruiting class for 2016 this week as we approach National Signing Day. A big rush over the last five days has netted the Cardinal four new signees, including offensive tackle Beverly Hamilton, wide receiver Donald Stewart, running back Dorman Maddox, and cornerback Obi Ebo. Ebo and Hamilton are both rated four stars by Scouts Recruiting Evaluation Service. The Cardinals still have a couple potential recruits left here in these last waning days, including Demetrius Robertson and Jeffrey McCullough, who would only add to what has been a solid recruiting season for the Stanford Cardinal. As far as needs addressed, the class includes some sorely needed defensive line help, including defensive tackle Jovan Swan from Greenwood, Indiana, as well as Bo Peek from Tampa, Florida, and Mike Williams from Fort Worth, Texas. So as Stanford closes out, it stands as an outstanding class, and it could potentially get even better over the next few days leading up to National Signing Day. For TheBootleg.com, this is RJ Abadian. All right, so good stuff from RJ. And it's, it's always, I mean, it's always really impressive when Stanford can recruit at this level given the limitations on who they can recruit. I mean, they had to drop dudes this year. Um, who were really talented guys, so they just couldn't get past admissions. Um, but they've got some, they've got some dudes I really like. I like Simi Fajoko a ton at wide receiver. I like Curtis Robinson at outside linebacker. He was one of my favorite players in spring. Um, mom was actually a UCLA professor, um, UCLA alum as well. Um, but kind of with that, you know, you get the people who really appreciate the education. And I think, uh, Stanford was pretty much a done deal there from the beginning. Um, but Simi Hifoko, Henry Haddis, they've got some real, real nice talent in this class. Um, some good offensive linemen, as always happens for Stanford. Um, I think they're, you know, that program, I, I think they're the envy of a lot of the Pac-12. Very, very consistent. Good year in and year out. They reloaded with another big, strong arm quarterback in KJ Costello. I think they're poised to just be good every year. Just that's, that's going to be Stanford for the foreseeable future. They are, uh, this kind of class and they can get, they can do this year in and year out. They're, uh, they're tough to beat. Yeah. I mean, to be ranked number two, I mean, this, you haven't seen Stanford do this before. 
And to be consistently up near the top, I think you need to recruit that well too. And before they could be top five or top six in the conference in recruiting. Now they're going to be top one or two or three. Um, and you're putting guys, you win football in the trenches and they have a great system for doing that. They put guys in the NFL. They develop, you know, they, they recruit four and five star offensive linemen there, develop them and they become, you know, good players in the NFL. And I think that's a, that's something you could sustain. And then you could put skill guys where, you know, Kevin Hogan is he the greatest quarterback in the world. No, but I mean, you, you put them behind that offensive line and some skill guys around them and, and you make those guys do well. And I think a KJ Costello could, could thrive. We got to see him quite a bit on the seven on seven circuit and all of that here in Southern California. And you mentioned Curtis Robinson from modern day. Man, I liked watching that dude play. And, uh, it's, you know, he's got length to him. Uh, he's, he was about my height, I think about six foot three and athletic and just, you'd see him playing on both sides of the football. Uh, you know, he'll end up being a, a linebacker for Stanford most likely, but man, I loved watching that dude play. And, uh, they got a lot of guys like that on, in this class. It's, you know, it's everything about it is very Stanford. It's just, it's well put together. There's thought process behind it. And I think, you know, RJ would sound pretty optimistic about it. And, and I would be as well. Yeah. And, uh, about Curtis Robinson, if he ever wanted to play receiver, he'd be a four-star guy there too. I yeah. mean, he's, he's got all the athletic ability, all the talent in the world. I think if, you know, if, if linebacker, if that ends up being a stacked position, he's not going to crack the depth chart. He'll be their next big, strong, athletic receiver who can make plays downfield. I, I love that guy. I think he's one of my favorite guys in this class. He's one of those guys that is great at seven on seven, but when you put pads on, he's just as good, you know, or better. It's yeah. sometimes you see guys that are awesome at seven on seven and then they're not as good on Friday nights. And he's, he, that's not, not him. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Should we move on to the number one? The number one team in the Pac-12 is... UCLA Bruins. All right. The Bruins are number 10 currently with 23 commitments. Two top 100 guys, 10 four-stars, 12 three-stars, one JC guy, 22 high school guys, 3.39 star average, 11 offensive, 9 defensive, but there are some athletes in there who will go on both sides of the ball. Um... UCLA is probably going to sign a bunch more guys. Um, they're at 23. I'm, I don't know if there'll be a decommitment here. I doubt it. Um, I kind of see most of these guys sign. I, I see all of these guys signing with UCLA. Um, and UCLA could add as many because they took, I think they're planning on taking about eight of these guys as early entries. They've already taken, I think, four. Um, they can, they're, they're looking to sign maybe as many as, you know, or get up into the taking in terms of the class up into the 28 to 30 range. Um, so there's going to be some numbers added to this group. Um, they still got irons in the fire with some really big fish. Mike Juarez is probably the biggest one, the, the five-star linebacker, um, from Torrance. He's going to choose between UCLA, Alabama, and Ole Miss probably. BYU got a last minute visit, but it looks more like that was just to kind of, you know, make his mom feel good. Um, I like UCLA there. Um, I think they've got a really good chance to land him. Um, we talked about a little bit earlier, Aussie, Aussie and Tagaloa. Um, I think they've, I, I think boss Tagaloa has been leaning towards UCLA for a long, long time. He's a four star defensive tackle. I think he ends up a Bruin. Aussie, Aussie is a little more up in the air for me. Um, I think USC still has a chance cause he grew up a fan. He was a, you know, a lean for a really long time. I think Washington, as Fetter said, has a chance. Um, but UCLA has definitely put itself in the mix with Marcus Tuyas Sopo. Um, I wouldn't call that one either way yet. Uh, but there's some other guys. Brandon Burton, they look really good to sign. Um, 
Aaron Hansford, an athlete from back east, is really impressive on film. He's probably going to come in as a wide receiver. He looks like he's going to come. Um, Brandon Stevens, a running back who actually decommitted from Stanford. I think he was one of those ones who was kind of a an academic casualty to a certain extent. He looks like he might come. He officially visited this past weekend. It doesn't sound like any other big schools are really pursuing him at this point because it's so late in the game. But they have a chance to close with a really good class. I think it could be firmly in the top 10. Another really good recruiting close for UCLA. Uh, probably this will be right up there with 2013 in terms of closing on a class. Because um, they, they seem poised to add between five and six commitments in the next two days, which I think would be a really impressive close for the Bruins. It's a, that could be, I mean, I, I think they have a really good shot at a lot of those guys. Um, is there, is this a situation where didn't sign a full class last year? So there's early, you can, the guys that come in early can count towards the class of 2015 or how does that all work out? Absolutely. So they, they signed, I think it was 18 or 20 guys last year. So they had a bunch of numbers to add to that. And then a bunch of those guys didn't actually end up staying in school. So Cordell brought us signed in that class, but then you know, moved on immediately, never even actually started football. Chris Clark transferred out immediately. So the the scholarship numbers aren't that big of a deal. It's I think there's a Pac-12 rule for you've got to be under 28, so they'll have to figure that out some way um, in terms of how many guys can actually sign a letter. Um, but that can be gray shirts, that can be a wide variety of other things. So I think they're going to end up taking in some form or facet, you know, 29-ish guys, 30-ish guys in this class. Um, but the top end is going to be really, really good. A lot of the three stars I like, um, they got a three-star JC guy in Nick Terry, who I think can make an impact this year. A bunch of these guys came in early. Probably one of the, the biggest names in terms of, and in terms of the impact he's going to have is Theo Howard, the uh, four-star wide receiver. Been compared to a former USC guy, Marquise Lee, a bunch, uh, for his speed and playmaking ability and quickness. Um, and that's a, Something that UCLA sorely needed for a while. Um, they're really loading up at receiver in this class. Alloway, Howard, Diamond Lee will probably play in at receiver. Um, they've got some, they've got some real talent, um, at receiver coming in in this class. And I think it's got, it's, it's what they need. They need to keep sustaining the program. They actually loaded up on a couple of quarterbacks and they needed to build some depth at quarterback behind Josh Rosen. Um, but this is, this is the kind of class you need to have if you want to, you know, keep competing for Pac-12 championships and, you know, this sets them up to do that. And it's just a matter of uh, putting it together on the field. I'm so deep. I mean, just so many dudes and, and really could add more, you know, with Burton and, uh, Boss Tagaloa and, and Asiasi, all those guys. I got to see Alloway a lot. And, uh, I think seen people kind of be high and low on him, but I really liked every time I saw him, he just seemed to be making a whole bunch of plays. But Theo Howard is a dude that's like, I mean, he could be the best receiver in the state, you know, like the people could talk to him about that way. So he four star dude, I think has a lot of potential there, uh, for Westlake. But yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of guys you would have to like in this class. Yeah. I think, um, I think if you told Theo Howard that Michael Pittman's rated higher than him, it'll just, you know, spur him on even more. There's a <laughs> bit of a friendly rivalry between those guys. So they'll be playing cross town for four years. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so we'll see how, how, uh, you still has got a lot to, you know, still some work to do, but already. Just, you know, with the class the way is it now, top 10 class, um, what, what, where have you done the rankings math? Like how high do you think UCLA can get? If they're like, like huge best case scenario, which is just signing everybody, including like a Wisconsin commit Garrett Rand, who I don't think is going to UCLA, that best, best case scenario, it's, it's going to be right around 4,200 points and that would get them to right around top five ish. Um, if, uh, if Rand doesn't sign, but they sign everybody else, including Aussie Aussie and the six guys I think they're going to sign, um, then it'll be, you know, probably in that top seven range. 
uh, pretty good close. It depends on, you know, it's fluid. It depends on how other schools finish and, you know, what Ohio State does, what Michigan does. But it's shaping up to be, you know, that's what you need. If you if you want to contend for Pac-12 championships and better things, you've got to be in that, unless you're like just otherworldly developing talent like a Utah is or something like that, you've got to consistently be in that top 10, top 15 range because then, like we've talked about a bunch on this podcast, the hit rate takes over. And if you've got a bunch of four and five star guys, then when your hit rate actually comes, it's, you know, uber talented guys who actually are, you know, exceeding their expectations. All right. Well, and if, if we actually, I refreshed the uh, rankings while we're talking and they, they're updated. So, um, <laughs> these rankings are very fluid and they will be over the next couple of days, but you think you gotta get, get this up quick. We gotta get up quick. We gotta get up fast. Otherwise it's going to change. Um, but great stuff, Dave. Uh, we haven't done it for a little while, but so I'm glad we got to do this and kind of go through each and every team and talk about them. And uh, we'll have to do a post-signing day one and kind of see how everyone finished off and where the final rankings end up being. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast of Champions. Enjoy signing day. It's Christmas and New Year's and Kwanzaa and Fourth of July. Everything all wrapped up into one. Flag day, all those things. It's a great day. It's a busy day for me and Dave, right? Like, just crazy? Yeah, it's a lot like Flag Day. <laughs> Super busy. Just constantly busy. Flag Day is one of my favorites. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.